the bar to what what is the good first step to take a startup is sometimes too high. So people have way too high expectations. Mm. And so they start thinking about ideas and they're talking themselves out of doing things. The bar to get something started is really low. You just have to take a step. So mm. just go. If you, in our case, we want to refinance islands, okay, what does that mean? We need to talk to people who have an auto loan. So mm. talk to them. The second you start hesitating, you're like, yeah, but once I talk to them, I don't know what to offer because I don't have any lenders. Like then you're stuck in these chicken and egg problems that you have all the time in a startup. Mm. And then you talk yourself out of doing things. And so you have to ignore that inner voice. Just do what feels like a mini step towards the right direction. And then another one, and then another one. Force yourself. Mm. Uh, the best way to get started is to get started. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's built several businesses to seven and eight figure companies, as well as the CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great uh, guest on the episode, and it's Nicholas, and I'm probably going to kill the last name, Henriksen. That was so spot on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Nicholas, just give us a short background. So parents are from Argentina. Uh, I think you were born in Munich or at least grew up in Munich. Yeah, that's right. Wanted to, or wanted to be study engineering, studying engineering and finance for a bit. Got a uh, job at an investment company in uh, renewable energy. Um, then went or did some things in Germany. And then from there, moved to a company that you're doing kind of Amazon for used cars. And then you've now gone through an accelerator, sold that off to Carvana and brings you up to where you're at today with With Clutch. And uh, I'll let you talk a little bit more about that as we go through yeah, sure. the podcast. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So I gave maybe a, a kind of a very short summary of your journey, but maybe now taking those steps back, maybe give us a little bit more of a, a, of a, a full, full-fledged version of your journey. Yeah, sure. I would love to. So I was born and raised in Munich, indeed. Parents are from Argentina. My two brothers and I were born in Europe, in Germany. Uh, I used to play soccer, broke my leg skiing because we lived in the mountains. So I couldn't ski for half a year and then started playing golf. Uh, got really into playing golf, played on the national team for four years, then decided to not turn pro, study computer science and finance, did this renewable energy uh, investment company, and then moved to the U.S. to go to business school. And so, Before we jump in, so you were yep. doing the you, you renewable energy with the investment company. Yep. What made you decide, you know, sounds like an, a, a good job or, you know, renewable energy is always good at so what made you decide to move from Germany and come to the U.S. and study as opposed to staying with that job? Yeah, good question. So many reasons. Uh, let's count them backwards. I really wanted to be in tech. I wanted to figure out my way how to get a, basically how to, how, how to get to the Bay Area and have a like, good warm intro and a foot in the door. Uh, I could have just moved here, but I don't think I would have had the same opportunities as, as the ones that opened up when I went to business school. Mm. Um, so tech, I really wanted to business school so I could combine these two things. Mm. The company I used to work for ceased to exist because we made a lot of investments, but never got money back. <laughs> and so it's just a number of things that, that made sense. Ultimately, I really wanted to start a tech company and thought there's no better place than the Bay Area to do so. No, makes good sense. So, 
So then you do that, you come to the US, and I think you said you went to Stanford, is that right? Exactly, yeah, I went to Stanford. That's where I met Chris, my future co-founder. He's MIT undergrad, ridiculously smart, and obsessed with cars. Like his, his first car was a DeLorean, you know, the one from Back to the Future. <laughs> I do, I know. DeLorean's a cool car, and it's an interesting backstory as to how the founder eventually got uh, all caught up with uh, importing drugs into the US and smuggling those in, and that's, Love the DeLorean. I'm a car guy myself, so. Oh, you are? Complete aside, yeah, so when I was 15, me and my dad restored a 67 Camaro. I still have, oh, that, wow. in my, still have that in my garage, kept it all these years. And I would buy it. <laughs> it's not for sale. It, 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 you couldn't pay me enough. Well, you could probably pay me enough, but you'd have to pay a lot, so. And then um, more recently, um, I wanted to have kind of a fun family memorable vehicle. So we actually fixed up an old VW bus and that's another car we have. So I love cars wow. and I love all everything about them. That VW bus is such a cute vehicle. <laughs> I, I agree. So I got the muscle car and I got the hippie car. So I, I'm covered <laughs> up both. No, you're a muscular hippie. <laughs> that's right. So anyway, didn't mean to interrupt. So you got, you got your, went to school and you decided you got with your co-founder, built Amazon for cars, right? Exactly. So it started out as us helping our classmates sell their cars. Mm. Was towards a, sorry, towards um, business school, end of business school, all our classmates approached Chris with one and the same question, how do I sell a car? Because he's the resident car expert. And we went from giving advice to selling their cars on Craigslist. And then more and more people approached us we took a little cut and realized it's a huge pain and, and we believed that there was technology that we could put in there and, and, and use and leverage to make this a better experience. We moved away from the peer-to-peer -peer platform and started working with institutions, leasing companies, rental companies, the wholesale auction mm. to have more inventory at lower prices and slightly more rational sellers like you you're i'm not saying you're irrational but <laughs> oh i bet I'd you're be irrational i would want way too much of what my camaros were and so it turns out that everybody thinks that way um, <laughs> and then you have the buyers on the other end who self select into buying a car from a private person who were hoping for a deal mm. and then every time we made a deal happen we disappointed both customers mm. and so that didn't end up being a good business but the institutions to appear 100% online worked really well. Mm. And we removed a ton of middlemen, ton of costs. We didn't have the classical dealership model. And so that business took off. We raised a total of $10 million. And then at some point we hit, we hit not a ceiling, but like a decision point where we needed to decide, do we want to grow more? Is this really a venture scale business? Mm. Or is there other value that we created that we, that we could capitalize on? Mm. And so we, we compared our like notes with, or frenemies, friends and, and, and competitors, talked mm. to Carvana, became friends with the executives out there and realized that we had built software that they needed and were about to start building. Mm. And in order to speed up the process, we just agreed that's combined forces. Um, we brought over the whole team and sold the business to Carvana. And I think one thing you mentioned, and I think that's an interesting story. One thing you mentioned is when you guys were going to sell off to Carvana, you made the decision to take it in equity instead of with cash, is that right? Yeah, equity so at the time, as opposed to cash. Exactly, yeah. So all, the whole team got shares and we didn't make any cash immediately. We, mm. The company went public soon after, so we could sell relatively soon after uh, shares if we wanted to. Mm. Um, but like we A, believed in the mission, B, believed in the vision of what we could build. 
and C wanted to see it through. And we had senior roles. We were treated really, really, really positively and nicely by the executive team over there. And we, we knew the space and we felt like we were far from, from what could be achieved and could be created in the space. And so we, we wanted to stay on. We stayed on for three years. Uh, a lot of the team members are still there. Chris and I went on to start another company. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really great journey and, and we, we loved every day. All right. So you answered a lot. And so in, I'll ask one follow, you already gave a pretty good answer, but one follow up question on that. You know, what, if, was it, when you're looking for equity, was it, hey, I'd rather continue to have ownership as I'm working hard and building it in? Or is you saying, I have a greater reward that, you know, if I stick with this for another year or two, then my equity will be worth more than the cash? Or what was the reason? Because, you know, I'm sure if you're looking, in some degree, you're saying, I'm getting acquired. Great, I've made it. I'll cash out. I'll go retire on my island. You know, I don't know how much money it is, but that type of yeah. thing versus hey, I'd rather have equity so I can, can keep working on this, see it through, and then if I, with my hard work, real, realize a better payday. So kind of what was the metrics as to how you made the, the decision to cash versus equity? Yeah, so we, I'm just doing the numbers in my head. We went from, I think we own 20% of our company, mm. Chris and my co-founder, to owning a lot less of a much, much, much bigger company. Mm. Um, but we still believe that we were just in the beginning, we had just scratched the surface of how big the company can become. Uh, the company has been growing almost hundred percent year over year ever since mm. in a huge, huge, huge market. Carvana has, is the most valuable car retailer now. I think they're worth around $30 billion mm. and their market share is 0.6%. Like it's nothing. Mm. And so I just personally believe there, there's, I think there's still opportunity out there and we haven't reached the top yet. And like, I wasn't in it to make money short term. I think mm. these companies become valuable. It just takes much longer to build these companies than everybody imagines. But mm. that also means that the, the maximum value of these companies is still ahead of them. That's what I personally think. Like, I don't have any insider knowledge anymore. I don't know exactly how it's going. Sure. But I, I have reason to believe that uh, they're still selling cars. <laughs> I, as far all the commercials tell me they are, so. <laughs> yeah. Good. So now, now you did Carvana, you stuck with them for a period of time. Now, how did you make the transition to the current company, you know, with Clutch that you're now looking more to car refinances? Was it exactly you, you had, you know, they could be everything you had golden handcuffs. And when you make the transition, they say you have to stand for a period of time. Did you find that, hey, you wanted to go back into startup life? You wanted to do something different. What was the motivation for after Carvana acquired you guys to then could go to move to where you're at today? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a step back and provide a little context because I think it's interesting to get a little more context. So when you're younger and especially when you do your MBA, you have all these peers who are doing incredible things, then mm. being successful very, very quickly is important to you. Mm. And so you de define success often as, okay, how much money do I make? And that's not how you build the biggest companies. The biggest companies you build by solving a huge problem, by really, really caring about what you're trying to change. And so I'm, I'm not saying that I was very financially driven at the time. I don't think that would be true, but Chris loved cars. And I was like, I love the problem we're solving. Now what I feel really passionate about is helping Americans save a lot of money on their cars. Mm. And so the, the reason we left Carvana was not necessarily financially, not, at least not for short term. It was because we felt like there's a huge opportunity to help a lot of Americans do our part to address income inequality by helping Americans refinance their car loans, lower their expenses and get out of bad credit. Mm. And so I feel like 
it's something I feel very passionate about. I'm really excited about doing. I want to dedicate my life to it for the next foreseeable future. And it happens to be a really good time because not only because of COVID, but also because of COVID. Because mm. uh, credit unions and banks, they need to transition online. Customers need to find creative ways to get cash. And so we're just really good at creating like online experiences to give customers cash. <laughs> and so we, we feel like they're above and beyond our prime motivation. The timing also plays, plays, very, plays out very nicely. That no, makes sense. So <clears throat> one maybe follow-up question to that. You know, it's one that, you know, different people approach different ways. You know, so you have the idea for, you know, what you're doing now with car refinancing and that's, and we'll jump into that in just a second. When you, you could have, Carvana is certainly still in the car industry. Was it, did you ever approach them, see if they are interested? Or were you rather saying, hey, this doesn't fit with their business model or it's different? Or did they tell, turn you down and tell you no? Or are you saying, hey, I want to do my own thing and be my own boss again? Or kind of what was the reason why you said, hey, I'm going to go to a startup again, as opposed to see if maybe this fits in with the Carvana model or work it into their yeah. that? Yeah, no, really good question. So there's, there's some beauty in being like Chris and I, two co-founders, scrappy, deep in the weeds, and just working really hard and being really excited about what we're doing on a day-to-day-to-day-to-day basis having more work than time. Like we, we just enjoy that phase of a company a lot. Carvana yeah. has, has become a big company. It's an amazing company to work for. For us personally, like we get a little bit more pleasure out of being like doing hand-to-hand combat and trying to figure out this business model. It's mm. just a phase of the company we enjoy more. And so I'm, I'm having a ton of fun in what I'm doing right now. And um, I had, like I'm fortunate that I had the opportunity to go back. I'm fortunate that Chris wanted to do it with me again. And financially, we have a little bit of a cushion. So we, we don't have to pay ourselves very high salaries for the foreseeable future. Mm. And so all these factors combined just made it really, really compelling. We, we are very close to the founders and executives of Carvana and talk to them on a regular basis. We, we feel like that there's a lot of opportunity to cooperate. For example, if somebody has, wants to lower their payments or her payments, but has a lot of negative equity, you mm. probably can't refinance, but you can get a better car for the same monthly payment. And so that's an area where we work with Carvana and send a lot of traffic their way. Mm, no, it makes sense. So no, uh, that, that answers the question. So now, now you jump into where you're at today. You're at with clutch, as I think you meant, you t- touched on as if I understand it, it's a way that you can ref. A lot of people, and I think when we talked before, you said, hey, they go to their car dealership. Most of the time when you buy your car there, you get the financing through them because it's easy and they offer it there, but it's at a higher rate. And so you guys kind of offer the opportunity to refinance your car so that the payments or the amount is less. Is that about right? Yeah. yeah. So there, there's two insights that motivated us to, to build this company. Number one, 80% of the car loans out there, there's 100 million car loans out there. 80% are originated at the dealership. Because people don't shop for loans, they shop for cars. And then once they fell in love with the car, they need the loan. And then, surprise, surprise, the dealer has one ready for you. That's not the best loan for you, though. The dealer makes money on referring leads to lenders. And the, the lender that pays the highest referral fee gets the loan. Mm. But guess what? The consumer pays for it. And so that means already on day one, you drive off the dealership lot. You can refinance. Mm. That was insight number one. The other driver, and that's even more powerful, is people migrating in credit. So let's say you have 650 credit score, you're building your credit, um, you get a car loan, your rate will probably be around 10% or so, and then you make your next 9, 12, 18 payments, 
well, now you qualify for a much lower rate. Now it could easily be at five, six, uh, five, four, three percent because you'll you'll be above seven hundred credit score, but you're stuck in the loan that you got when you first applied, and so this credit migration creates a huge opportunity to get people out of their current car loans and put them into better loans. Yet nobody nobody really explores that opportunity because it, a people don't know you can do it, and out of the people who know that you can do it. Most people don't like the idea of having to visit branches because it's a very physical process or you talk to call centers and it's just not a good experience. Something that we think and we strongly believe we can improve. Hmm. No, I think that makes perfect sense. So you have those insights. You're saying we've got an idea for the new company. We're going to build it around it. How was the experience of doing your second startup as opposed to your first startup? Yeah, it's very different. <laughs> you, you make new mistakes. We a startup is just an accumulation of a lot of mistakes and errors until you get lucky and then you wake up and like, oh, I built a company. Um, so things that worked very well for us in the, in the second round is A, we knew exactly what we wanted to work on. B, we knew exactly our roles. Like we're two people, it's like a relationship. Mm. Um, I know exactly what, what Chris's superpowers are and he knows what I'm good at. Mm. So we, we just run at full speed instead of getting to know each other. Um, we then, when we went fundraising, the story of, hey, we've done this before is really compelling, especially during COVID. It felt like angel investors and, and venture capitalists were a little less risk-taking, mm. yet they invested more capital on safer bets. And for some reason, they, the investors we talked to felt like we we're a safer bet. Mm. And so these things played out really nicely for us. And we just knew... Like there's a lot of admin you need to do to set up a company that you just do on the side. You can focus on building the business. And so we, we've learned a lot over the last seven years that are, that's very applicable. And so we've, we got out of the gates really fast. Hmm. No, that's awesome. So, so now you take that where you're at today now. So where do you see the next six months to a year heading as far as the company, where you're going to heading growth trajectory, trajectory and everything of that nature. Yeah, We'll, we'll take over the world. <laughs> uh, so it's what we're building is a two-sided marketplace Like we need lenders because we are not the lender. We work with existing lenders and we need the people with car loans. Mm. And so in order to get the lenders, you need to have people who need car loans. And in order to have people or in order to be attractive or have something to offer to people with car loans, you need the lenders. So it's a little bit of a chicken neck problem. The way we hack that is instead of working with lenders directly, we work with other companies like us um, who have the lender network. Mm. We don't, economics are not nearly as interesting, but um, the, like we can at least serve customers. And now we're starting to build up an audience, followers, get our word out there. And so we're starting to get a lot of traffic. And now we're turning around and present all this traffic to the lenders and say, look, all these people would fit what's called your buy box. So the terms and the, the, the stipulations under which a lender would lend. Mm. Um, and so now we're starting to have significant volume enough to be compelling for both sides of the market. And uh, yeah, we'll just do grow slowly, but surely. And then hopefully we can provide more and more value to customers. We're thinking about an experience like Credit Karma, where car owners come to us not only to refinance, but to check in on their vehicle values and store their maintenance records and get a sense for when is a good time to buy or sell the next car? So we're trying to be an advocate more than only the refi. The refi is the market entry, so to say. Mm. Okay. No, it sounds like an exciting trajectory. Now you can uh, take over the take over the world one day at a time. So. Exactly. One one car loan at a time. That's right. So now, as we as we move towards the the end of the podcast, 
So I always have two questions, so we'll kind of jump to those now. So first question I always ask is, what was the worst business decision you ever made? Yeah, uh, so many of those. Let's <laughs> see. So the, the, the important thing about making bad decision is that you learn something that you didn't know before. So it's a little, little harsh to label them as a bad business decision. But with hindsight, things that we should have not done and have done were, here's a good example. In our previous company, mm. we, we, the first sales were all over the phone. Mm. So we sent images, but then we had salespeople. And so we got addicted to the salespeople, sales team model. Mm. And that means instead of building product that would allow con users to convert on the website themselves, we doubled down and built product for the salespeople to become more effective salespeople. Mm. And so that, that's, it's a trap where you fall in easily. In fact, it's, it's something that happens if you, if you have too much capital mm. because you then start making moves and then you have momentum and then it's really, really difficult to turn around and make a big change. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the worst decision, this sounds very dramatic, but the worst decision is to figure out a hybrid between like technology convert customers versus salespeople. And so this time we'll do it exactly the other way around. We're going to be really patient. It will take much longer for consumers to convert themselves and educate themselves because mm. there's so many questions we have yet to answer with a website, mm. but, but in, you're not making the mistake where you're building a business that can be small and profitable, mm. but you invest in a business that can be big and profitable. No, that's really good. a good mistake to, to learn or to learn. Not to repeat. <laughs> exactly. So now we'll jump to the second question. So if you're now talking to someone that's just getting into startups or small businesses, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? You mean as an investor or as a founder? Um, as a founder. So it, let's say you're, if somebody was going down the path, just uh, looking to get into a startup or small business, what would be the one thing that you wish somebody told you or what would be the one piece of advice you'd give, the, give them as they were getting into it? Yeah, okay, that, that's a really good question. The bar, the bar to what what is the good first step to take a startup is sometimes too high. So people have way too high expectations. Mm. And so they start thinking about ideas and they're talking themselves out of doing things. The bar to get something started is really low. You just have to take a step. Mm. So just go. If you, in our case, we want to refinance islands. Okay. What does that mean? We need to talk to people who have an auto loan. So mm. talk to them. The second you start hesitating, you're like, yeah, but once I talk to them, I don't know what to offer because I don't have any lenders. Like then you're stuck in these chicken and egg problems that you have all the time in a startup. Mm. And then you talk yourself out of doing things. And so you have to ignore that inner voice. Just do what feels like a mini step towards the right direction. And then another one, and then another one. Force yourself. Mm. Uh, the best way to get started is to get started. All right. Well, I like that. You know, that's, that's interesting. Out of all of the episodes I've done, that's probably the number one piece of advice yeah. across a lot of different people, a lot of different industries, is everybody just says, it, you know, just get started, just get going, whatever that form or fashion is, start, because you're, no matter what the holdups, there's never a perfect time. You're never going to have all the answers, but you need to get started before you're ever going to go anywhere. So I like exactly, that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so. Now, as we, as we wrap up, so now people are wanting to find out more about your business. They're wanting to reach out, whether it's to refinance, they want to invest in your company, they want to get a job at your company, they want to learn more about you or just make, make a new friend. What's the best way to connect up with you? Yeah, maybe they want to send me their, their classical car. <laughs> <laughs> it won't uh, be me, maybe somebody else. Yeah, who knows? 
two ways. Uh, the website, the company is called Clutch. The website is withclutch.com. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can put the, the link in the show notes. Um, or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Look for Nicholas Henriksen. I'm sure my name will be in the show notes too. Connect with me. I'd love to hear from you if, you, if you're interested in like the company we're building. If you have something that might be interesting for me to look at to invest. If you want help. If you want advice. If you have feedback. So don't hesitate. Reach out. I'd love to connect with a lot of people. All right. Well, I certainly encourage everybody to connect up with you, reach out and, uh, and use your service as well. So, well, Nicholas, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Now for everybody else that uh, has, if you have a journey to tell, if you have something you'd like to share, feel free to apply to be on the podcast. You can just go to inventivejourneyguest.com and love to have you on if you have a good story and a good journey. Um, if you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe so you can get this episode and all the new episodes. And lastly, if you ever need help with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we're always here to help. Thanks cool. again, Nicholas. Lo loved hearing your journey and wish you the next leg of your journey even better than the last. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. My pleasure.